A new CBS poll has Donald Trump once again solidly in the lead over the Republican primary pack, and I say it's about time. Republicans are finally striking back against a dishonest, corrupt, and untrustworthy news media by supporting a dishonest, corrupt, and untrustworthy candidate who's almost surely going to lose to the dishonest, corrupt, and untrustworthy candidate for the Democrats who is supported by the news media. In a political system that is divided between an evil party and a stupid party, it's easy to tell which is which. The evil party is the one that keeps winning the White House. Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. See, this show is unique. This is a unique show because political broadcasting is not political. It's actually, it's actually showbiz. Political broadcasting is showbiz, and in showbiz, the single rule is give the people what they want. And so they flatter you. You know, they, they tell you that your prejudices are okay if you're supporting Donald Trump. They have Donald Trump. You, you want Donald Trump? We will give you Donald Trump until you can't stand it anymore, and we'll say nice things. We'll find some way of framing what he's doing to make it nice. Not here. Here, you come here, and I will tell you you're being an idiot. In fact, as... <laughs> As a service, as a service of The Daily Wire, if you subscribe to The Andrew Clavin Show, if you subscribe to this podcast, I will come personally to your house, ring your door, and when you open the door, I will scream in your face, don't support Donald Trump, stop it! Anyway, if you already know this, just what you do is just kill a lamb and, and paint the blood on your door, and I'll pass over your house. That's a, that's a Bible joke. I'm, I'm sorry. If you, didn't, if you didn't understand that joke, uh, you should gather together with your family and watch uh, Charlton Heston movies because the family that watches Charlton Heston together stays together. All right. So Donald Trump, we're talking about uh, reactionary, being a reactionary, you know, reacting to the things, the, the stupidity, the dishonesty, the oppression of the left by turning to a guy like Donald Trump who seems to be the answer seems to not be cowed by the left, seems to not be afraid of the things that some people are afraid of, the political correctness, the getting fired because you spoke out of turn or said something, losing, you know, getting a bad grade at school because you didn't have the right politics. And Donald Trump seems to respond to that. And he especially seems to be responding to the media because the media is, at this point, if there were no federal government, the news media would be the most corrupt, the single most corrupt organization in America. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. And I, I can't decide whether they really don't know they're corrupt. I think what they think is that the world really does skew left and they're just, they're just reporting reality. But George Stephanopoulos, I mean, really, really, you know, Clinton's, Clinton's political guy in the White House, in the Clinton White House, a, a worker for the Clinton White House, and now he's the chief a political correspondent for which one? It's ABC News, and that's you know that I I see I don't see any bias here. There's no bias here. You know Scott Pelley, really? You know I mean and you know NBC they're editing tapes. CBS Cheryl Atkinson, their investigative reporter, had to quit CBS because they wouldn't run her stories. They wouldn't run her stories. In her book, she says that that the reporters at CBS are actually trying not to get on Scott Pelley's show because he's so biased that he destroys their stories. So here's the, here's the you know, the lead show, the flagship show of their news network, and the reporters aren't trying to get on. Okay, so Sunday, Donald Trump's spokeswoman, this very lovely girl named Ka Katrina Pearson, Katrina Pearson goes on CNN, and she's interviewed by Brian Stelter on his Sunday morning show. And we posted this on The Daily Wire. You can see the whole thing. But I'm going to let this play for a couple of minutes because... On YouTube, when you go on YouTube, they frequent, it'll frequently say, so-and-so destroy 
praise somebody. You know, there was a debate. You're just destroying. Then you go and it's just it's a debate. You know, one person says one thing. You know, it's, Bill Maher destroys this you know Christian believer. This Christian believer destroys. This woman destroys this guy. I mean, this guy. I I, I can only play a little bit. I'm not going to play as it goes on for like eight minutes. But go ahead and play play what we've got. Let him let him see it. You have the media sort of upset and actually whining now because Donald Trump isn't playing by their rules and these rules don't apply to Democrats. That's the problem people What's have with example? the media. What's an example? Exa I'll give you a couple. Let me give you a couple of examples, Brian. We didn't see coverage on CNN wall to wall recently when the administration came out and said they wanted to add biometrics to the vetting process for refugees because guess what? That's going to be in a database. We don't hear back-to-back -back coverage on CNN about Hillary Clinton lying to the American public knowing that we had a terrorist attack in Benghazi and she blamed an American citizen who made a video but yet we spent weeks on talking about a head count when Muslims celebrated 9-11 so I think that goes to show the dishonesty in media I do think hundreds of hours have been spent covering Benghazi you just said Muslims celebrated 9-11 don't you mean a very small number according to media reports maybe a handful no I mean radical Muslims celebrating 9-11 in America and let me talk about just last night from that video How many? that you were talking about in Iowa Let, let's continue mm -hmm. with the dishonesty because MSNBC said that Donald Trump abruptly left the stage from his event in North Carolina when in fact the full video is out there on YouTube. He talked for about an hour, took questions and answers from the audience members, and then continued to shake hands and sign books and shirts and hats and everything afterwards. Mm. So that's just completely dishonesty in the media. I, I did see that last night Trump said that Katie Turr, the NBC correspondent who was there, should be fired. I can't remember another campaign, another candidate that would call for a reporter to be fired. Did you agree with that call? Well, you know what I agree with? I agree with there's dishonesty in the media, and if it's your job, to report the news and not make it up and you're not doing your job, you should be fired. This goes on for like eight minutes. By the end of it, the guy, he's like Wiley e. Coyote in the old Roadrunner cartoons. Remember the, the anvil? You try and drop an anvil on the Roadrunner and it would end up landing on Wiley e. Coyote and be flattened like an accordion. That's that's what this guy looks like at the end. He's just orang, orang, orang. So, of course, you know, of course, every word the woman says is true. Every single word that came out of her mouth is true. And so that, that makes Donald Trump looks good, look good. But just because the news media is dishonest and corrupt doesn't mean that Donald Trump isn't also dishonest and corrupt. The point of politics, in the passion of politics especially, is not to react. It's to know who you are, know what your principles are, and support the people who are going to support your principles. And Donald Trump, there's no way Donald Trump, if you're a conservative, there is no way Donald Trump is going to support your principles. Everything about his history shows that he, that he won't. Victor Davis Hanson, uh, a brilliant guy and a wonderful guy, uh, has a piece in National Review in which he talks about the appeal of Donald Trump. He writes, the more analysts try to figure out Donald Trump's appeal, the more they sound baffled. Pundits cite Trump's verbal sloppiness and ridiculousness as proof that he must soon implode. But Trump sees his daily bombast as an injection of outrage for a constituency now hooked on someone who finally voices their pent-up anger. The more reckless Trump's doses of scattergun outrageousness, the better the fix for his supporters. Trump's vague Make America Great Again was the natural bookend to Barack Obama's even more vacuous hope and change. The popularity of such empty slogans reflects a culture in which no one any longer trusts institutions, the media, government, or politicians. 
the public no longer respects, U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, the IRS, the VA, or the GSA, even the once-hallowed Secret Service, has become a near-laughing stock of incompetency, corruption, and politicization. Is the purpose of NASA really Muslim outreach, as NASA Chief Charles Bolden suggested in 2010? The world that we are told about by our government bears no resemblance to what we see and hear every day, so we live in an age of disbelief. Millions of citizens think the nation is headed for a financial reckoning. They feel threatened by radical Islamic terrorism. They sense that cultural and social stability has disappeared, and they know that that expression of these worries can be a thought crime, hounded down by politicians, media, universities, and cultural institutions that do not enjoy broad public support and are not subject to the direct consequences of their own ideologies. Amid these crises and the present absence of responsible leadership, if there were not a demagogic Donald Trump ranting and raving on the scene, the country would probably have to invent something like him. That's Victor Davis Hanson, always brilliant, and but especially concise there. Don't react, know who you are, know who your principles are, what your principles are, and vote for the guy who is going to come closest to representing your principle. Easy pickings until you lose your temper. Anger is the devil's cocaine, and once you lose your temper, you wind up following a guy with a funny toupee. So I had this amazing night last night. I had an amazing night last night. The Manhattan Institute uh, are in town. The people from the Manhattan Institute, my friends, and I, I'm a contributing editor to City Journal, their big magazine. And every now and again, they come to California, and they pretend they're come, they come to California because they're trying to save California, but they come to California because it's California, and it's hilarious. If you go to New York I'm, and visit him, you know, I, I visit them, you know, Brian Anderson is the editor, brilliant, brilliant guy, and you go to New York, and Brian is there in a suit and a tie and buttoned up, and he's kind of sta sits, you know, very uh, erect, and he talks, and he comes out to California, and, you know, within a day, he's in a Hawaiian shirt, he's drinking umbrella drinks, you know, I like it out here, you know, so they keep coming out here. That's why they're here. But as an excuse for coming out here, this is the reason I don't belong to a think tank, by the way. I, you know, I, I, I've always kind of thought I might be a good think tank, you know, one of those guys, a you know, fellow of the think tank, but I'm just not a serious enough person. I think I can't, I can't do that thing where I sit and look, you know, serious and, and say serious things. People, people in this place at the Daily Wire, they've known me for years before they realize I've ever read a book. You know, they go like, wait a minute, wait a minute, you just, did you read a book? I, no, no, I didn't. I, I don't know what it is. I'm not exactly sure what it is. My father was a comedian, so maybe it's genetic, but I'm just never, I don't think so. I think I think it's a God thing. I think that once you understand the principle of the fall of man, once you see what people are supposed to be, what the world is supposed to be, and then you see what the world is, it's kind of like that scene in the movie Bridesmaids, remember, where they all get dressed up in their beautiful bridesmaids outfits, and then they get poisoned by laxative, and so they all wind up in these beautiful gowns looking like they're supposed to look like angels, but instead they're screaming on the toilet. That's what the world looks like to me every day, because once, once you realize that it was supposed to be something else and it's broken, it's funny, you know? I mean, it's tragic, but it's also kind of hilarious, so I think that's it. So I'm not a serious, I'm just not a serious person and I so I don't belong to a think tank but but they do invite me they have these dinners the Manhattan Institute comes and they have these dinners where they invite other serious people and me to sit at this dinner and listen to their speakers and last night they had Heather McDonald and I've spoken about Heather before I think she is the I seriously think she is the best reporter in the country if she's not the best she is one of them 
also a cutie pie, which I have to mention because I'm, I'm not a serious person. That's, that's, that's the first thing I'm always thinking about, Heather. No, but she is a spectacular, courageous, fearless reporter, and she came to talk about Black Lives Matter. Now, I did a satirical video about Black Lives Matter. I'm going to play just a little bit of it because it's all taken from Heather's work. I mean, all the, you know, because I'm not a serious person, I have to take information from Heather's work to make my, my satirical video. So listen to just a, a, a little bit of this. Black Lives Matter is the slogan of a nationwide activist movement dedicated to hampering the police so that more black people can be killed. About 90% of black people who are killed are killed by other black people, but those black lives don't matter to Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter activists are instead protesting aggressive police methods, sometimes lumped under the rubric policing, which have almost certainly saved thousands of black lives that don't matter to Black Lives Matter. After Mayor Rudy Giuliani and Police Commissioner William Bratton instituted broken windows policing in New York City in the 90s, murder rates there dropped far faster than in other cities without those techniques, and fewer people were sent to prison there as well. Since about half of U.S. murder victims are black, the police can be credited with saving thousands of black lives that don't matter to Black Lives Matter. If the black people who weren't murdered only knew they weren't murdered, they could protest against Black Lives Matter by saying their Black Lives Matter, but they don't know, so they don't matter. The Black Lives Matter movement to ensure more black people die was inspired by the Ferguson, Missouri killing of Michael Brown, a gentle giant murdered by a racist police officer in the imagination of the activists, but in real life, a stoned lawbreaker shot after he assaulted the cop who tried to arrest him. So this is what Heather came to talk about. She has named this the Ferguson effect. I believe she came up with that name. And the Ferguson effect is the fact, this, by the way, is the thing I... Of all things that the left does, I think this is the thing I find hardest to forgive is what they do to black people, what they do to American black people. I think this is the thing that I, I just think they're going to answer for in another place than this. She talks about the Ferguson effect. After years of an historic drop in violent crime, which came about for two reasons. It came about because of a revolution in policing, where they started to do this broken window policing, which was based on, on a theory that if you took care of the little crimes, you got rid of this atmosphere that seemed to allow big crimes. And it worked. They started busting people for you know broken windows, for graffiti, for smaller crimes, and it started to clean up the streets. And also, they, they use this thing called Comstat uh, in this one of my favorite television shows, The Wire, they diss Comstat. Comstat revolutionized policing by giving them the kind of uh, statistics they needed to know where they had to send their guys. That was a revolution, and the other thing was the revolution in sentencing, when they took this out of the discretionary hands of judges and said, after a while, you got to put people in prison. They got to go away. There was a violent, a, a dramatic drop in crime that saved thousands and thousands and thousands of black lives. All of that is being abandoned, and it's being abandoned under pressure from the Obama administration. And what Heather was talking about was how the head of the FBI, Comey, has been walk going around, James Comey has been going around telling people, alerting people to the Ferguson effect, saying the Ferguson effect is that police, because they're now afraid of being accused of racism, they're now afraid of being caught on a videotape from an iPhone and have, having that go on CNN. They're holding back. They don't want to do broken windows policing. And Heather was talking about how this is, you know, causing this jump in crime. 
And Obama, what happens is Comey goes around making speeches saying there's a Ferguson effect and it's causing this uh, jump in crime. And then Obama follows him wherever he goes and says, no, 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 that's not happening. Police treat, he, Obama will say police treat blacks differently than they treat whites. The Justice Department treats blacks differently than it treats whites. You're not being treated fairly. And of course, this is fueling this Black Lives Matter movement, which is killing black people, which is resulting in the deaths of black people. And it's all untrue. Everything Obama says is untrue. I mean, Heather had just amazing statistics. I wasn't taking notes because the food was great, and I'm not a serious person, so I was eating the food. But I, was, but I did remember, there was one statistic I did remember uh, that I just remembered uh, offhand. She talks about the NYPD. There are 35,000 officers in the NYPD, so that's a small village worth of people. They make 80,000 gun runs a year. A gun run is a response to there's a gun involved in the crime. How many times do you think they use their weapons a year? 40 times, 40 times. These are not trigger-happy guys. These are incredibly well-trained professionals constrained by rules of engagement that really keep them in place. And the fact of the matter is that black people commit statistically many, many more crimes than their percentage in the population. And one of Obama's ideas is that there's this mass incarceration. The problem is there's this mass incarceration because of the war on drugs. And libertarians talk about this all the time. The war on drugs failed and all it does is put people away. All untrue. Heather says this is all untrue. She said that to go to prison in America is a lifetime achievement award. You have to, that most people are in prison for violent crimes or crimes against property. And if you took out all the people who are in there for drug crimes, it wouldn't have any effect on how many black people uh, percentage-wise are in prison. So all of this stuff is untrue. And it's just increasing the death rate. It's, it's just, a, you know, it, it's, it's a crime. It's criminal. And the pitiful thing, says Heather, is she goes to these community meetings and the people are begging the police to police their neighborhoods. Please get that drug dealer off. Please frisk this guy for weapons. Please clean up our streets. Watch. Keep watch on us. Keep watch on us. And when these guys go before the press, when they go to CNN, because CNN has been particularly guilty with the New York Times, a former newspaper, has been particularly guilty of doing this, of, you know, when the uh, activists go in front of the cameras and they say, oh, the police are killing us, the people who want the police there are scared. They're scared. They get killed. They get attacked if they come out and tell the truth, how desperately they want the police. The police will tell you, the police will tell you when they go into these neighborhoods, because look, most of the people in these neighborhoods are law-abiding citizens, and when the police go in there, just like the rest of us, they're happy to see them. I'm happy to see the cops patrolling my neighborhood. So are most of these people, but they, they can't say so on camera, or they, they will pay a price. They will pay a, a serious price. So I said at this, at this dinner, I said, you know, what's, what's the alternative narrative? Because one of the problems I find with the right, with conservatives, is that we're always playing defense, that... CNN is coming out with these lies. The New York Times is coming out with these lies. Black Lives Matter. 
are coming out with these lives, and they're, they're despicable. Black Lives Matter is a despicable movement. I mean, even in Chicago, where they were protesting yesterday, they're protesting uh, at, at what looked to me like a bad shooting. It actually did look like a bad shooting. The cop has been charged with murder. What do they want to do? He's been charged with first-degree murder. What are they supposed to do, set him on fire? I mean, that's, that's justice. That's the justice system working. So what, why are they protesting? So I said to Heather, what's the alternative narrative? What do we support? What are we for? I get that we're against Black Lives Matter, but what are we for? And she looked at me with this kind of helpless look, and she said, dads, dads, dads. And I know this is the case because, you know, I write crime stories. That's, that's basically what I do for a living. I write suspense stories, mystery stories. And every now and again, I set one in a prison, or it has a scene in a prison, and I have to go to a prison to do research. Every time I do this, I say to myself, I am never doing this again. I'm never writing a prison scene again. Because when you walk into a prison, this idea that prisons are you know, comfortable places and we let these guys off too easily, not true. The minute a door closes behind you in a prison, you think, get me out of here. You, you know, I mean, I, I remember the first time I was in a prison, I turned to the guard who was showing me around, and I said, remind me never to commit a crime. <laughs> Just call, give me a call from time to time and remind me. Because, I mean, that they are, it's a, it's a wicked place. It's, and the, the idea, you do not know, your free, the whole point about freedom is it's like the air. You don't miss it until somebody takes it away. And it's a terrible, terrible thing. If you go from cell to cell to cell, the things those people have in common are not some crazy idea about race, which is almost a superstitious prospect. There's almost no such thing as race. It's not that what country they're from, no matter what Donald Trump says. It's not anything. It's dads, dads, that they don't have fathers. And the thing is, when you go and talk about this now, you get shouted down. And this has been true. You know, Back in the 60s, uh, Donald, uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, who was uh, in it, he became a senator, but I think at that point he was in LBJ's, uh, he was in LBJ's uh, cabinet somewhere. And Moynihan published a famous report in which he said, the welfare programs that we're proposing are going to destroy the black family. And nobody wanted to hear about that because what he said basically is they're being paid to have fatherless children. We are paying them to have fatherless children, and we're making it harder for them to get marri married. And nobody wanted to listen to him because of feminism, for, to, to a large degree. They accused him of racism, and the feminist said, what do you need fathers for? You know, women need a man like a fish needs a bicycle. So they didn't listen to him, and, you know, the, the Democrats have been trying to destroy the black family since slavery days. In the old days, Democrats used to sell people down the river. They used to sell the husband down the river and sell the wife up the river. When that didn't work, the Democrats invented the Great Society, and this welfare thing has it has decimated the black family. More black kids are born out of wedlock than during slavery days when Democrats were literally breaking up their families. So that's, that's an amazing stat. And now when you go and you preach families, you get shouted down by the gays. Because, you know, why do you need a father if you can have, if Danny can have two mothers, you know, if uh, Danny can have two fathers? Why isn't that just as good? And this is, you know, this is an incredible thing. And what, <laughs> I mean, it's First of all, it's incredible that the people who make fun of Christians, those Christians who don't believe in evolution, I'm not one of them, but there are plenty of Christians who don't believe in evolution. The, the left makes fun of them for not believing in evolution, but they don't believe in evolution. They don't believe in ev you know, evolution. Has you, know, you evolve according to what works. What works is a mom and dad having a child together and the father supporting the child, the mother protecting the child. The, that system is, a, is a, an act of evolution. And to get shouted down 
You, you know, do we have that Monty Python? Did I send you that Monty Python yeah. clip? I, I don't know how many of you have seen this, but if you haven't, it's really worth it. From the life of Brian, uh, here's, here's somebody, <laughs> here's the first, the first transgender person in the life of Brian. Play this. I think Judith's point of view is very valid, Ray, provided the movement never forgets that it is the unalienable right of every man or woman, or woman to rid himself or herself. Or herself. Agreed. Thank you, brother. Or sister. Or sister. <laughs> Where was I? <laughs> I think you're finished. Oh, right. Furthermore, it is the birthright of every man or woman. Why don't you shut up about women, Stan? You're putting us off. Women have a perfect right to play a part in our movement, Reg. Why are you always on about women, Stan? I want to be one. What? I want to be a woman. From now on, I want you all to call me Loretta. What? It's my right as a man. Why do you want to be Loretta, Stan? I want to have babies. You want to have babies? It's every man's right to have babies if he wants them. But you can't have babies! Don't you oppress me. I'm not oppressing you, Stan. You haven't got a womb. Where's the fetus going to just take? You're going to keep it in a box? Here, I've got an idea. Suppose you agree that he can't actually have babies, not having a womb, which is nobody's fault, not even the Roman, but that he can have the right to have babies. Good idea, Judith. We shall fight the oppressors for your right to have babies, brother. Sister, sorry. What's the point? What? What's the point of fighting for his right to have babies when he can't have babies? It is symbolic of our struggle against oppression. Symbolic of his struggle against reality. <laughs> That's great. It's made so many years ago, but it's absolutely predictive of what's happening today. All right. So, so blacks, essentially, what happens to, to blacks in America and un, under the left is that they get shunted aside. The real life and death situations that they have get shunted aside for white middle class movements. Feminism is a white middle class movement. They keep trying to pretend it's not. Every now and again, they'll drag some poor, you know, black woman and says, "Yes, I'm a feminist too." But it's a white middle class movement. You only have to think about the basic idea that you don't want to be a mother, which is the being a mother is the central occupation of humankind. Everything else in life is built around protecting being a mother. C.S. Lewis said that. You know, being a mother and a homemaker is the central occupation of humankind. And what the left says is, why would you do that when you could be a doctor or a lawyer? Well, maybe, maybe, if you think so. I, you know, I don't happen to think so, but really most jobs are being a secretary for a widget company. I mean, that's what most of us do for a living. And that's, that's what they're putting this, you know, above the central occupation of humankind. That's a white middle class movement. Gay marriage, I mean, really, who cares? I mean, who cares? Gay people are not oppressed in this country. Believe me, I live right above West Hollywood. Believe me, you know, they are not oppressed in this country. Gay people are not, you know, the gay people are doing great. And God, God love them, you know, it has nothing to do with that. It's just a white middle class concern, and it gets shunted aside. You know, uh, Heather was talking about how she goes to Boy Scout meetings in these terrible neighborhoods, and she says it breaks your heart to see these boys because the Boy Scouts provide a father figure. They provide a fatherly presence, teaching them, you know, things that boys love to do, you know, tie knots and, you know, make camp and all this. And the Boy Scouts are being defunded by corporations who are afraid of the gays, you know. And, again, it has nothing to do with the right or wrong of it. It just has to do with 
the left always puts the whites, upper class people, the concerns of white upper class people above the blacks, and the blacks have been destroyed. And so what you have yesterday, yesterday in the Supreme Court, they were arguing against affirmative action. And this is what they do. They, they put all their energy into middle class movements like feminism and gay rights, and then they give the poor blacks the booby prize. The booby prize is affirmative action. We will give you things you don't deserve. The booby prize is, is welfare. We will addict you to government handouts. The booby prize is microaggressions. Oh yeah, sorry, we destroyed your family, but we won't call you articulate. You know, thanks, thanks a lot. You know, thank, thank you, white man. You know, I appreciate that so much. I, I'm glad I, you know, I don't have a dad, but I'm glad I'm not articulate. So yesterday in the Supreme court, they're arguing against affirmative action, and Antonin Scalia said, there are those who contend that it does not benefit African Americans to get them into the University of Texas where they do not do well, as opposed to having them go to a less advanced school, a, le a slower track school where they do well. The left went nuts. The Huffington Post left out the words, there are those who contend, and made it sound like Scalia was absolutely asserting this. But in fact, it's true. Affirmative action destroys people because it puts, sets them up for failure. Malcolm Gladwell writes about this in David and Goliath. It sets them up for failure. And so the left has just destroyed black culture. And then what you get, what you get is the reaction on the right. And I get this on my blog. Somebody did it on the the notes, the comments on this podcast, the people who then say, well, it's because this is an inferior race. It's great. First you destroy them and then you attack them, you know. And by the way, I just want to say in the spirit, in the spirit of, of this show, you know, other shows will flatter you. Other shows will tell you that, you, you know, there's something legitimate. If you are the guys leaving those words, you know, I, look, I, I hate I hate euphemisms. I'm not going to say the N-word. Putting nigger on my comment page. Let me just say, in the spirit of Christmas bright goodwill, screw you and get off. Get out. You know, get out of here. You, you stink up the joint. You know, it's like. And I can tell. I can tell when I read those comments. They think that it makes him a big man. You know, it's the same thing with Donald Trump. He's fighting back. It makes makes you a big man. It makes you a moral munchkin. Remember those munchkins in the in the Wizard of Oz? Everybody talked like this. It's like I said, nigger. I'm a big big man. You know, <laughs> it's like just blow out of here. You know. So th this is, look, this is the thing we've been talking about all week, the death of a bad idea. We've been talking about the death of a bad idea, the idea that there's no such thing as, a, as moral good or bad. You know, there's nothing absolutely moral. And yesterday we were talking about the fact that to have something absolutely moral, you have to have a concept of God. It doesn't have to be the Christian God, but it has to be, you have to have a concept of, of ultimate good, ultimate conscious, willing good to believe that something is better than something else. And, if, and everybody does really believe that. So you really believe in God whether you, think you, whether you think you don't or not. And the other thing you have to believe is that God's conscience is somehow communicated to us, that we are made in God's image, is the way the Bible puts it. But it just means that we are capable of understanding what God wants us to understand about good or evil. And I asked the question yesterday, what does that mean for our legislature, what is, for our legislation? What does that mean about governing the country? And the first damn thing it means is that color can't matter. Race doesn't matter. You can't be a munchkin going around going, yes, I believe in the image of God as long as it looks like me, but not like that guy over there. You know, it's, it's absurd. It's absurd. You can't fix the past. We can't solve bigotry with bigotry. Another great idea from the left. Thanks a lot. You know, it's, I, I know how we'll stop racism. Racism, that, that's going to do it. It doesn't work. You can't fix the past. It's, it, we have all got to be treated absolutely equally starting this second. This second, 
a generation from now, it'll work. People are going to be left behind. It's sad. It's too bad. But, they, but we don't have any other options. There's no other way to do it. There's no other way to fix the world. All right. Well, at least we came to some answer this week, right? You know, things, things are going bad. At least we have one positive idea. We're two positive ideas. There is a God. We're made in his image. And therefore, there can't be any discrimination in law, whether for blacks or against blacks. It's Christmas stuff I like. I always like to end with a song. And this is not necessarily a Christmas song, but in Christmas albums, they always like to include winter songs. And this is one of, that's probably the greatest of all winter songs. It is also, it's a seduction song. And, you know, it's hard to explain, hard to explain to you young folks what seduction is. But there used to be a time when you had to convince women to sleep with you. It was really different. They had this thing called chastity, honor, never mind. It's too hard to explain. So, so... Lovely Lindsay, our makeup lady, was saying, saying to me, this song is kind of rapey, but it's not really rapey. It's seduction. The guy is convincing uh, a woman to stay because it's, it's cold outside. There's a storm. Baby, it's cold outside is the name of the song. It's written by Frank Lesser. Uh, he, he was one of, I would have to say, he was in the top rank of songwriters, probably at the bottom of the top rank, but he was the top rank of, in the top rank of the American songbook. And he used to sing this with his wife. It was written in 1944. Frank Lesser used to sing this with his wife, and he would be the seducer, and he would say he was the evil of two lessers. And so, <laughs> so that was the thing. Now, the thing is, because we have forgotten what seduction was like, most of the time when people sing this, it's not sexy. It's an insanely sexy song. But most of the time, it's sung with this kind of sprightly baby, it's cold outside. There is one recording of this which fully gets the sexuality of this. It bleeds sex. And if there's one thing about Christmas, it ought to bleed sex, right? <laughs> Isn't that, that's in the Bible, right, John? <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> so, this song just bleeds sex. This is Ray Charles and Betty Carter, two of the great jazz singers in American history, singing Baby It's Cold Outside by Frank Lesser. This is the Andrew Claven Show. I'm Andrew Claven. Thanks for listening this week. Come back, and we will do it again next week. I'm glad you're here. I really can't stay Betty, it's cold outside I've got to go away Betty, it's cold out there This evening has been Been hoping that you drop in So very nice I'll hold your hand Just like My ice. mother will start to Beautiful. worry and father will be pacing the Listen floor. to that fireplace. So really, I'd better scurry. Beautiful, please don't hurry. Well, maybe just a half Why a don't you more. put some records on while I pour? And the neighbors might think that it's bad out there. Say what's in this dream? No cabs to be had out there. I wish I knew how. Your eyes are like starlight now. To break the spell. I'll take your hat. Your hair looks I ought to say no, no. Mind no, if I move in closer. At least I'm gonna say that. What's the sense of hurting my pride? I really can't stay. Baby, don't hold out. Ah, oh, but it's cold outside. 